it's not just a board on your back wall. All right? That's not what missions is. Each of us is called to be a missionary wherever we are. Now, let me give you a couple of quotes, and then we're going to open the Bible here. But the great Sri Lankan theologian Daniel Niles said, to be a Christian is to be a member of a missionary community and to participate in the activity of a missionary God. There was a famous pastor named Charles Spurgeon. In fact, he pastored a church in London, and, and a lot of people go to England and they'll visit his church. I've been there once. And he one time said, and this is the way, he was kind of this big sort of vigorous guy, and he said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. That's how he said it. He saw it that powerfully. So if I'm a Christian, then I'm a missionary. Where do we learn this? From Jesus. What does it mean? How do I get started? Do I need special training? Do I have to quit my job? Do I have to reorganize my life? We're going to answer those questions. But what I want to do is I want to read Mark chapter 6, verses 6 through 13. Now, we're not putting it on the screen for you. So if you have a Bible, open up Mark chapter 6 or pull it up on your phone. If all you have is a phone, you can search like esv.org or something like that. Mark chapter 6, verses 6 through 13. And what we're going to do is we're going to unpack from Mark 6 what it looks like for me to be a missionary. All right, ready? Mark 6, verse 6. If you're not looking at a Bible, just listen. And he marveled, we're talking about Jesus here, and he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching, and he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Now, this is God's Word, and I'm going to explain to you and then apply this to us today, this text, but I want to, I want to encourage you um, to say, God brought you here this morning for you to hear His Word, all right? Whether it's me who preaches or Israel or somebody else, God brought you here, and so seek to learn this morning what invitation does God have for me as we open up His Word. Let me unpack it a bit. As we read the Gospels, we don't see Jesus wasting a lot of time. We, we don't know a lot about the first 30 years of His life because God didn't see fit to put this in the Scripture for us. But, but around 30, Jesus began to live a very public life, to preach and to teach and, and to rest and to heal and sometimes celebrating. But what's crystal clear in the life of Jesus is that through all of this, He was always on a mission. Jesus always was on a mission, all right? We see this right away in verse 6. So that, by the way, I'm going to give you six points today. Don't worry, each one won't be super long, but six points because pastors are only supposed to preach three points, and this is six, so it's not two sermons. It's six faster points, all right? So the, in fact, if you're taking notes, I want you to write down, Jesus was on a mission, all right? Jesus was on a mission. We see this right away in verse 6. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, we already know that Jesus says that he's been sent by God the Father on mission to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to free the oppressed. 
Everywhere that Jesus went, he lived out this mission. So when you read the Gospels, he healed people, he fed people, he cared for people, he confronted people with truth, he preached a message of repentance. He was always on a mission, all right? In order to be right with God, each person needs to repent, to turn away from living for the way that they were living, and to turn to Jesus Christ. This was, this was the message of Jesus. Now, if you look at the overarching story of Jesus, you see that Jesus was always on a mission, all right? He was, verse 6 says, he went about the villages teaching. He had the apostles with him. He was always on a mission. But Jesus' time on earth would soon be over, and it would be time for his followers to carry his mission forward. That's what we read about in verse 7, sort of the passing of the baton. So verse 7 says, he called the twelve, and he began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals, to not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that's on your feet as a testimony against them. So Jesus was on a mission, but his mission would outlive the days of his walking on earth. So before his death, resurrection, and ascension, this is point two, all right? Jesus passed the baton of mission to his followers. First thing I want you to see, Jesus was on a mission. Second, Jesus passed the baton of mission to his followers. Now, you know what a baton is? Have you watched the Olympics before? So you've seen the relays that we're supposed to win because we're supposed to be the fastest until the Jamaicans came up and were a little faster than us, right? But the Americans have been really good, typically, at the sprinting stuff in the Olympics, right? We have a really good history. Like when I was a little kid, I broke my collarbone as a freshman playing high school. I guess I wasn't that little. I was 14, freshman football, broke my collarbone. I was a receiver. This big 180-pound guy came down to me, broke this collarbone right here. It was in the summer before my freshman year. And I remember laying in the couch watching the 1984 with a broken collarbone, Los Angeles Olympics, and seeing Carl Lewis. Like he's the, he was the fastest, right? And we've had so many sprinters since then. Now, a few years ago, we lost in the relay race. I think our women lost because somebody dropped the baton. So you know how it is. Somebody's sprinting, and they hold the baton out. Somebody else starts running, and you reach back like that. Now, I want you to say it out loud here. When you get the baton, and you're in a race, what are you supposed to do? Say it out loud. Say it out loud. What do you do when you get the baton? You run. What would happen if you just stood there? Everybody would yell at you. They would write stories about you forever. Like, we handed the baton and they didn't run. Like, it's your job to run. And don't you always feel a little bit nervous in the baton pass? Don't you always feel like, oh, what's somebody? Especially when the, when the final leg of the relay gets the baton and it's a good pass, you usually feel like, because that whole race only takes like one minute, the four by 100. Right? So when you get the baton, you run. Now, I think that's a fitting analogy for what we see happening in Mark 6. Jesus has been living on mission, healing and teaching. We read all about that. And then in Mark 6, he gathers his followers together and he's got a bunch of batons. And he says, here's yours, and here's yours, and here's yours, and here's yours. It's time for you to run. So Jesus passes the baton of mission to his followers. Now, let's just explore what happens here in verses 7 through 11. Through the life of Jesus, we see him preparing his followers for life after his time with them. 
because he knew he wouldn't always be physically present with them, and he knew that they would carry on the mission after his death, resurrection, and ascension. All right? So what did it look like as Jesus began to pass the baton? Verse 7, he gathered up his inner circle of 12, and he says, it's time for you to go out. He says, you've watched me, now it's your turn, is essentially what he says, right? I'm just paraphrasing these verses. And then Jesus sent them out in twos, so he sends them out in groups of two. This would have made a lot of sense, because they'd be a team. You know, there's a place down where I live, I live in Rancho Santa Margarita, kind of off the toll road. So if you take the toll road, the 241, almost all the way to the end, we live there in Rancho Santa Margarita. Maybe you've been there. But Tribuco Canyon is down below us. So you can kind of walk out my door and, and then you can go down in the canyon and you can take a run or a hike or a mountain bike. I don't have a mountain bike, but down in the canyon. But do you know what's down in that canyon? Have you ever read anything about that canyon? Mountain lions are in that canyon. So do you remember like 10 years ago, somebody was killed on that Whiting Ranch Trail? That's not a good way to go. I wouldn't recommend getting killed by a mountain lion. But there's all kinds of signs saying... Uh, danger mountain lions. So the first six months that we lived there about five years ago, we were, we were like, well, maybe we shouldn't go down there. Like, I don't want to get eaten. So I started running with a knife. So, because, so, you know, I, here's what I, here's my, th- now it was a pocket knife. My thinking was, if the mountain lion gets me, this is my thinking, I can probably get the knife open quick enough that he'd go after somebody else. My wife is making fun of me, like, I'm literally running with a pocket knife down in the, and what I realized is it's probably better to go down there in a group of two. And this sign even says that, like, like there's something about being in a group of two where you feel a little bit safer, right? There's two people. A mountain lion's going to attack the single person and leave you alone, all right? So, so Jesus sends them out in twos, and everybody was like, please don't make me go out with Judas, and Judas was smoking marijuana back in the back. That's not really true, but, but think about it that Judas was one of these guys, all right? So Jesus sends them out in twos. This was before Judas had even been exposed as a fraud. And then Jesus gives them authority over impure spirits. That's what he says. He knew that they would have to en- encounter opposition just as he, as he had. And then he gave them the power to deal with it. That's what we re- read about in these verses. And then he tells them what verses it in. He tells them, uh, he says, he, verse 8, he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread. He says, don't take anything. Now, why is that? Does that mean that you shouldn't own anything? No, no, see, Jesus is telling them to rely on the hospitality of the village that they were in. And by doing this, they would show that they weren't looking to profit or move up in society, but were simply there to care for people and to proclaim a message. Now, back in the day, there were a lot of, like, traveling religious people that were in it to make money. We've seen people in our society before, like years and years ago, maybe 20 years ago, there was a guy on TV, and they found out that all the checks that were being sent were being sent with these heartfelt letters where people were talking about all these sad things, and the letters were going straight into the dumpster. He never even saw them, and he was just getting the checks. And he was kind of exposed as, a, as just a greedy guy who was profiting off of religion. There were people back then at the same way that were like, they were peddling religion for money. Jesus says, I don't want you guys to be like that. You go out and you just rely on the hospitality of the village that you live in. And then he says, I want you to take four things, by the way, identical to what the Israelites were to take on their flight from Egypt. That's interesting. Cloak, belt, sandals, and staff. 
Jesus says, just take these four things. You don't have to take like huge backpacks and rolling suitcases. Just take these four things. Now, why are these four things? You think it's coincidence that they're the same exact four things that the Israelites were supposed to take in the book of Exodus when they, when they left Egypt? Not coincidence. The same four things communicate haste and urgency and dependence on God. All right? So in other words, he says, go out and rely on the hospitality of the village that you're in and don't take a bunch of stuff. He's not saying everybody has to be poor. In the Scripture, we see rich people who are good stewards, and we see poor people who are good stewards. We see rich people who are bad stewards. We see poor people who are bad stewards. It's not right or wrong to be rich or poor necessarily. What it's right to do is to be a good steward of what God has given you. So Jesus says, look, this is about simplicity and dependence. And then Jesus says, whenever you enter a house, stay until you leave that town. Now, what is that about? Now, here's what it seems. Bible scholars think that what this is about is that Jesus didn't want his apostles to try to upgrade into bigger, fatter houses when they rolled in and blessed the community. Okay, so, so they weren't to profit in any way. And he sent them out with authority to preach and to heal. So imagine you go into a village and you can preach and heal and then the super rich guy who lives up on the hill with the pool, with the fountain and the zero gravity pool and all that, he says, hey, come on up and stay in my house. I mean, I got a whole guest house. It's 5,000 square feet. I got a Tesla in the driveway you can drive. I mean, I'm using modern day, but you get my point. Jesus is like, no, don't try to upgrade into a bigger, fatter house. All right, you're not to profit. You're to minister the kingdom of God. I'm just walking through these verses to explain what Jesus was saying. But how would people respond? Jesus says, some people will receive the message and some will reject it. All right, so if a place will not welcome you or listen to you, what does Jesus say to do? He says, shake the dust off your feet. You ever done that at the front door before? Like you wiped your feet off because you've been in the backyard or whatever. Jesus says, if a place will not welcome you, then shake the dust off your feet. So these 12, Jesus' followers, were literally supposed to, in front of people, shake their feet off. Now, what's the point of this? What's the point of this? Uh, I think Jesus wanted his followers to know that there would always be people who are uninterested in the gospel. You know, one of my good friends is an NBA basketball coach. He's the second in command for the New Orleans Hornets. Is that what they're called? Yeah. New Orleans. Are they the Hornets? Yeah. So he, he's an assistant basketball coach, and he's the top shooting coach in the NBA. Played for the Lakers for a couple years, and now he's very well known in the NBA. He coaches all kinds of Coach Dwayne Wade for several years. And so I've, he knows everybody in the NBA. You, I'll be in the car with him, and Shaquille O'Neal will text him and call him on the phone. And I'm like, hey, put me on the phone. He's never done that. But, but anyway, so I'll ask him, like, when you, because he's, I'm going to fly out there in a couple of months to New Orleans, and I'm going to spend a couple of days with him, and I'm going to sit on the floor at the Celtics game and the Houston Rockets game. And we just go back to when we were 20 years old. That's how long I've known him. And so I've asked him so much about some of these NBA players, like, who's a Christian, who's not a Christian? And when he played for the Lakers, he shared the gospel with all the guys on the team. He played in that era with Mark Madsen and Devin George and, and Ron Harper, I think, was on that squad. Robert Ory, if you remember some of those guys, all right? So, and, and he said, man, a lot of these guys are just not interested, just like a lot of people in your neighborhood just aren't interested. Just a lot of people you work with just aren't interested. Conversion is not our sole responsibility. Jesus is saying, no matter how hard you try, no matter how many people you heal, some people will still reject the gospel. 
doesn't matter. Like, you don't have the means to secure a conversion. So mission, then, does not mean pushing the gospel on people relentlessly. You understand that? That's not mission. Now, all that to say, verses 12 and 13, what happened is they went. Verse 13, so they went out, proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons, and they anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Now, I could go into this, but I'll just briefly hit it and say, Jesus doesn't give us all, once and for all, the power to heal and cast out demons and all that. Like, there's a whole other sermon here. But Jesus was sending these 12 out uh, with the ability to heal in combination with their preaching to demonstrate that they weren't just some traveling religious people to communicate a, a message that the world had never before heard, given God's power, and, and they went out and they did it. So Jesus was on a mission. Jesus passed the baton of mission to his followers. Are right, you get that so far? If you get it, say, we got it want to make sure you're awake. Not all of you are awake. There's like eight people said that. All right. Number three, one of my core identities as a follower of Jesus is that I'm a missionary. So if you're taking notes, just write down, I'm a missionary. All right. Because Jesus passed on the baton of mission to his followers. So think about this. I am not on earth just to watch TV and to hang out and to eat good meals and to go to the beach and to enjoy great weather that California has to offer, or whatever kinds of things you enjoy doing. All right? The Scriptures show that Jesus is the promised one of the Old Testament, the messenger of God, and even God Himself in bodily form. The supreme purpose and motive of every individual Christian and every, every church is to glorify God. The supreme way in which God has chosen to glorify Himself is by sending His Son to pay the ransom so that people can be in right relationship with God. And it's through participation in God's redemptive plan that Christians most glorify God. So listen, you're not just a teacher or a stay-at-home mom or a student or a barista or a construction worker or whatever, or a bank worker, whatever other job you do. You're a worshiper, you're a servant, you're a part of a family, you're a missionary. All right, now, number four. Missionaries are not required to have seminary degrees. You might say, where is that in the text, Brian? Now you're preaching a different sermon? No? I'll, I'll hit that. But if you go to Asia as a missionary, you might need language school or a Bible degree. But for most of us, you don't need a seminary degree or a Biola degree to be a missionary. Consider where the 12 were in their journey right here when Jesus gives these instructions. They weren't even quite sure who Jesus was yet. They still had training to do. They were still arguing with each other about who was the greatest. They were still going to deny Jesus after his crucifixion. One of them was going to betray him and hang himself. Like this was not a group of seasoned veterans. It wasn't like, oh, these guys have been in seminary and been pastors. They're the missionaries. No, these guys were fishermen and like tax collectors and regular people, all right, who hadn't suffered or been tested even. You don't even need several years of Christianity under your belt before you get going as a missionary. So what do you need? You need to have embraced the truth of Jesus. So you need to know that you're a, you're a Christian. You need to have a desire to point people to Jesus. And you won't even know how to answer every question that a person may have, but you'll, you'll grow in this over time. You need to know how to serve a person and be compassionate toward them. 
and be willing to tell them who God is and what God's done in your life. Now, a few years ago, maybe five or six years ago, I was meeting with this counselor friend of mine, and he said to me, Brian, you're too concerned about productivity. You need to be more concerned about presence than productivity. And this may be seven years ago. I remember it got me thinking, like, I'm, pro- I, I'm one of the most productive people. If you knew me, you'd go, man, you are super productive. Like, I work to relax. I just would rather work than do almost anything else. I love getting stuff done. I just, you know, I, so I have, to, I have to, like, force myself to stop and watch a TV show. For me, the temptation isn't get off the couch. For me, the temptation is like, you probably should sit down and stop, you know? So I remember this counselor saying to me, you need to be more worried about, you need to be more focused on presence rather than productivity. Because what you bring, for example, to your family is not just your productivity. You bring your sanctified and sanctifying presence. So did you ever have a dad that feels like, well, man, I did everything. I, I mean, I worked four jobs so I could put food on the table. And you felt like, yeah, but I wish I could have just seen you once in a while. You know, a lot of people had a dad like that. Wasn't present. You probably would have rather your dad been present than extremely productive. Now think about this with with missions. If you were a Christian, you can be present somewhere. And your presence means that the Holy Spirit is in that place. It means that you as a Christian are in that place. You don't need a seminary degree or Greek language in order to be a missionary. You need to be willing to, to, to listen and be compassionate, which takes me to number five. Missionaries communicate love and compassion along with words. So there's a, there's a message that's central to the mission, but I'm not trying to get you to go down to Huntington Beach and stand on the pier and get your Ray Comfort on and be a street preacher. That's not what I'm trying to get you to do. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm thankful that you know God uses all kinds of different things. I'm just saying that's I'm not encouraging you to be a street preacher who stands on a box with your own video person. No, I'm saying, I'm saying you need to learn to communicate love and compassion, right? Jesus sent his followers out to do two things, to preach and to heal. Now, isn't healing, is there a greater act of compassion than healing a person who's in pain or who's sick? So Jesus sends his followers out, like, to care for people. So the person on mission shows that that her concern or his concern is to serve people who are hurting. So communication and compassion are combined. All right, so think about your presence as a missionary, communicating love and compassion. And then lastly, and then I'll I'll drop you a couple of uh, suggested steps to go forward, but lastly, missionaries need to know that not everyone will accept the message that they bring. Jesus clearly says that, I think it's in verse 13, right? Not everyone will accept the message that you bring. You know, so there will always be people that are uninterested in the gospel. We've lived in our neighborhood for five years. We know a lot of our neighbors. We've engaged with our neighbors a lot. We've spent a lot of time with our neighbors. I get together with the guys. We play fantasy football. I usually lose. Uh, But I'm looking for opportunities to interact with my neighbors all the time. And yet I can come home from a gathering feeling really frustrated sometimes. Feeling like, man... None of these people have any interest in Jesus at all, even though we've had some good conversations with people. But we can also feel like, man, is this person ever going to be interested? Life's falling apart, and yet still not interested. There are always going to be people who are uninterested. We see this throughout Scripture. Jesus talks about it in the parable of the soils. So when we live as missionaries, the response to us and our message will vary. But I will tell you, over the long term, 
you'll see God use your presence as a missionary over the long term. All right? Just remember, conversion is not your sole responsibility, and mission does not mean pushing the gospel on people relentlessly. Now, I, I've given you six things here, but I want to give you just a couple of practical, like, how do I get started? I'm going to give you a couple of steps, all right? And then I'm going to give you uh, three words, all right? It's not another sermon, so don't worry, all right? First, acknowledge who you are. You're a missionary. Maybe you need to put a little note on the mirror in your bathroom that says, I'm a missionary. Just remind yourself, when you go off to work or school or whatever you're doing today or tomorrow, remind yourself, I'm a missionary. All right? And then number two is begin to pray. Why don't you just choose a person or two and say, I'm going to pray for that person, that that person, that God would draw that person to themselves. Now, I'm not asking you to pray. You can pray for somebody, you know, on another side of the country, but I'm asking you to pray for somebody locally, personally, that you interact with. All right? Just begin to pray. Think of yourself as a missionary and begin to pray. Now, I think what you'll find is that you start looking at the world differently. Because you can't, like if you're, if you're a principal at a school or a teacher at a school, you can't necessarily just go and start throwing out Bible tracts in the public school hallways. You'll get fired. But you can't acknowledge your presence. You can say, God's put me here. God's put me here. He's put me here as a missionary. And within the bounds, so I might pray for a couple of people. All right? And then I told you I was going to give you three words. Location, vocation, and recreation. Location, vocation, and recreation. Where you live, where you work, where you, where you play. Or, what, you know, hobbies. All right? Location, vocation, recreation. Just think about this. Where you live. If God is sovereign to put you in a place where you live, apartment, house, wherever you live, um, is he not sovereign enough to be stirring the hearts of the people around you? You know when he talks about being salt and light? Your, your presence is salt in that neighborhood. And so just think about where you live and think, all right, God's put me here. I'm going to be aware of the people around me and think of myself as a person who wants to show love to these people and to serve them and to look for opportunities to befriend them because God's put me here. How about vocation? You might love your job, you might hate your job. I'm not saying that if you work at Starbucks, you should only make coffee half the time and the other half the time you should be telling people about Jesus. That's not what a missionary does oftentimes. A missionary goes in as a learner, okay? So as a missionary in your vocation, you're thinking of yourself as a missionary and you're saying, I'm present in this vocation. What would God have me to do? How would he have me to carry out this vocation in a way where I do my job excellently, where I serve people, where I'm loving and compassionate, where I do it with integrity, where I'm the hardest worker here. You know, my, I, I said principal because my mom was a middle school public school principal for like 20 years. And when we go visit her in Tucson where she lives, we're just back there a couple weeks ago, she knows everybody in that city, it seems like, because, you know, there's a million people there, but she was in the public school system for like 30 years. All these people that have come through, you know, she's had students come back later and thank her that were miserable back in the day and people that still don't like her because she expelled their kid from school and stuff like that. And I don't know that my mom ever in the public school was out there like with a megaphone on the playground telling people that Jesus came and died for you. But I do know that her impact was large because she saw her vocation as a place to live out being a Christian the best way she could in that context. And then lastly, recreation. 
which is this. Do what you do with gospel intentionality. Think about that. Do what you do with gospel intentionality. In my younger days, I played a lot of basketball from probably 20 to 35 years old. I've now passed on that baton to my kids because uh, the body doesn't work the way it did back in the day. But, but I remember going to a gym early morning, four or five days a week. You know, we called it old man basketball because when you're 18, you don't want to get up at 5.30 in the morning and play basketball. But when you're 27 and you have to get to work afterwards, you might do that. So I would go four mornings a week and play basketball. Then I would stack my team with guys, and we would win the city league, and I would start myself. I'd stack my team with, like, ex-college players, and then I was always the starting point guard because it was my team. So, and, uh, but I always knew, you know, I always knew I'm a Christian on this court. So I'm going to compete fiercely, and I want to win. But I always had in my mind, hey, when we're sitting on the side afterwards taking off our shoes because the game's over, I was having good conversations with the guys, asking them questions and getting to know them. And I mean, we had several guys show up to our church because, because I remember John's, John's wife left him and took the kids. And he said, Brian, aren't you a pastor at a church? I said, yeah. He said, can I come to your church? I'm going through a super hard time. Now, I didn't lead him to Christ, but he might be a Christian to this day because recreation, doing what you do with gospel intentionality. So all that to say, all right, the ultimate goal of this sermon is to lift up Christ and his salvation. Remember, we were made to be in right relationship with God. And Jesus Christ is the only way that a person can be right with God. The first and most important thing for you to do is embrace that truth and make sure that you are right with God. And then once we've done this, once we've done this, we're called to participate on the mission that God send us, sends us on. So we adore Christ and we rejoice in Christ when we don't keep Him to ourselves but we tell other people about it, all right? So what I'm saying to you today is think of yourself as a missionary because Jesus passed the baton of mission to you. And I don't need you to like buy the biggest Bible possible and to start carrying at work. Just want you to think about your presence. I'm a missionary here. Why has God put me here? In my neighborhood, in my job. And how can I glorify God by doing my job excellently and serving others around me and being the most compassionate person in my neighborhood and listening to people so that God, as God draws people to himself, he'll use me to be a part of that. All right? I want to encourage you. I, I would love to preach here again in a year or two and see that this place is twice the size because you've spread out across Fullerton and Anaheim and Bray or wherever you live in this general area because you've spread out location, vocation, and recreation, living as salt and light wherever you are. God, I thank you for Branches Fullerton. I thank you for this church. I thank you for what you've done here historically, but I, but, I, but I pray that you would do much more in the future even. I pray, God, that, that going forward, you would use these people in this church to do great ministry, to see themselves as missionaries, to, to uh, God, to, um, to, to see people drawn into right relationship with you. So I pray that we would spread out and do that. In Jesus' name, amen.